All right. Brand new week. Let's get it going. No use dreading Monday. Let's just let's just dive into it head on. Uh, a couple things we're expecting this week. Still on indictment watch. Um, everyone thought it was coming last week. Um, we've been on indictment watch for the better part of two weeks. Trump got that uh, action letter. I'm sorry, target letter back on July 18th. So uh, maybe maybe we'll see an indictment um, for Donald Trump's uh, role allegedly in January 6th this week. Maybe we won't. Uh, more hearings involving Hunter Biden on, on Capitol Hill. That starts today. Uh, U.S. takes on Portugal tomorrow at 3 a.m. in the Women's World Cup. Uh, if they win and maintain their two-goal differential over the Netherlands, they can still uh, clinch Group E and be a number one seed. And uh, it's August. And if you think uh, things have been weird lately, they might get a whole lot weirder because – um, August will bring us two full moons, two super moons, and one blue moon. We're not we're not getting five moons. We're just getting uh, two moons that are doing too much. Uh, we'll see the first full moon this week. Uh, it'll be at its peak Tuesday and Wednesday night, and this will be also be the first super moon. And I guess a super moon occurs when a full moon is in close orbit with the Earth. I'm not sure what the exact criteria is. And then the second moon, uh, which will be our uh, second supermoon and blue moon because it's the second full moon in the same month will be visible on uh, August 30th. So, so uh, things could get a little nuts. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Also, Mercury goes into retrograde on August 23rd. I don't know what that means, but uh, apparently it's bad. So if you follow that stuff, uh, we're, things are going to get a little bit weird. Uh, another emotional day uh, Friday in Oakland County Court for day true of the Oxford High School shooters Miller hearing to determine if he'll receive life in jail without parole. And uh, <clears throat> interesting development, the de- both uh, the prosecution and uh, the the uh, victims families have asked uh, the media and, and everyone else to to use the shooter's name sparingly because on Thursday it came out in court in this Miller hearing that uh, one of the reasons why he carried out this heinous attack on Oxford high school uh, was for notoriety and, and to become famous. So um, I'm more than happy to comply. I'll only use his name if uh, I feel it's important to specify and keep the story straight because uh, there's, there's a lot of names and a lot of people who've testified over these last two days, starting with, uh, Uh, Assistant Principal Christy Gibson Marshall, um, she testified that uh, she recalled seeing the shooter inside the hallway of Oxford High School. And while she was tending to uh, Tate Muir, uh, who later passed away from from his injuries, as she got closer to the shooter, she recognized him as uh, 15 year old Ethan Crumbly, uh, who who she taught in elementary school. She reluctantly left Tate Mir's side to walk alongside the shooter, asking him if he was okay and what's going on. And uh, he just walked right past her, never raising his weapon in her direction. Um, It was the one time the shooter actually showed any emotion in court. He had his head bowed and and, and, uh, he was wiping away tears as she spoke. Uh, Miss Gibson Marshall also recounted how she tried desperately to save Tate Muir's life, 
She said that she felt his entrance wound as she was trying to comfort him. And she recounted the taste of blood as she tried to give a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Uh, She told Mir that she loved him, and she told the courtroom that she was trying to save him for his mother. And uh, as you could tell, her testimony was incredibly emotional. And afterwards, she shared a tearful hug uh, with Tate Mir's father, Buck Mir. And then a couple of students were on the stand, starting with 15-year-old Keegan Gregory. He was hiding in a bathroom stall with Justin Schilling, um, another one of the victims who who didn't survive the shooting. And uh, while he was hiding in that stall, the shooter kicked the door open. Keegan Gregory looked at the shooter, and the only thing he said to him was, please. And so the shooter told Keegan to stay put, and then he motioned for Justin to come out of the stall, which Justin did. And then Keegan Gregory said there was a silence, and then he heard the gunshot. And then the uh, shooter returned to the stall, and he told Keegan to go sit next to Schilling. But instead of uh, complying, Keegan Gregory ran out of the bathroom where the shooter, uh, while the shooter's back was turned. And then uh, another student, I, I would say, um, you know, one of the, the, the heroes to highlight in all of this, uh, Heidi Allen. She witnessed the shooter shoot an, another student, Phoebe Arthur, and her boyfriend, Elijah Miller, uh, both of whom survived. Um, the shooter turned, also turned to a group of girls next to Heidi Allen and, be, and opened fire at them, causing Allen to hit the ground. She stayed down until the shooter walked past her. And uh, after he was gone, she asked if anyone had been shot. And Phoebe Arthur was the only person who answered. So Heidi Allen helped Phoebe Arthur up and took her into an empty classroom. And she rendered aid to her until help arrived. And uh, she made it a point um, to tell Phoebe to face away from the chaos, which uh, which was good advice. She actually got similar advice uh, from a police officer when he arrived at the scene. The officer told Heidi Allen herself to look at the wall instead of the bodies. So uh, the prosecution rested on Friday. Uh, The shooter's defense began making their case as to why uh, he should not face life in prison without parole. There was a child psychologist talking about how the brain wasn't uh, fully developed. So uh, no Miller hearing today. Um, It's scheduled for tomorrow morning at 830 or 9 o'clock, and I'm not sure if it's going to be the final one. Um, It's uh, one of those things that uh, once... There's no set timetable. Once all the uh, witnesses testify, all the witnesses testify, and then um, and then it will conclude, and Judge Kwame Brown will make his decision on whether or not the shooter deserves life in prison without parole. A business partner of President Biden's son is scheduled to meet with lawmakers. Fox's Ryan Schmelz has the details. Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's friend and fellow Burisma board member, will head to Capitol Hill to testify to the House Oversight Committee. The New York Post reports Archer is expected to testify that Hunter Biden would introduce his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to foreign business partners or possible investors during meetings. The Oversight Committee has been investigating the Biden family to determine if the president was ever paid by a foreign national in exchange for policy decisions while he was vice president. In Washington, Ryan Schmelz, Fox News. A shooting over the weekend in a Lansing parking lot left five people injured, and their ages range from 16 to 26. Uh, police responded to the shooting, which occurred about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. When they arrived, they found a large crowd containing the gunshot victims. They also um, 
recovered multiple firearms and took multiple people of interest into custody. And two victims remain in critical condition. That's a very odd situation. I'm sure that's not the last we're going to hear about this. And the Max Scherzer-Justin Verlander reunion appears to be over as the Mets traded Scherzer to the Texas Rangers over the weekend for infield prospect Luis Angel Acuna and a bunch of money off their books. And uh, it, it also looks like uh, Verlander, who got his 250th win yesterday, making him uh, number one amongst active pitchers, uh, he might actually be on the trading block as well. By the way, Max Scherzer is number three amongst active pitchers and career wins behind Zach Greinke. First thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Election officials in Oakland County tested their voting equipment last week and opened it up to the public in the name of transparency and, and to hope uh, to ease fears of the possibility of impropriety in stolen elections. Two people showed up. Oakland County Clerk Lisa Brown on JR Morning with Chris Renwick and Lloyd Jackson. Lloyd, have you ever heard anybody talk about the 2020 election being stolen? Uh, let me see. I think I heard a little something yeah, about that. That was a big talking point over the last couple of years. I don't know if you heard it. Yeah. Um, but because of that, I think there was there has been a, a, a push by clerks, certainly here in the state of Michigan, to, to kind of quell those fears and, and hopefully going into our elections are very important elections coming up, whether they're primaries or the presidential election uh, in 2024. You, you want to make sure that everything is on the up and up. Things are good. Things are working as they should. Well, the Oakland County clerk, Lisa Brown, uh, had an open invite to anybody who wanted to come out for a testing of their voting equipment, their election equipment. Mm-hmm. It was open to the public. Take a guess. Again, Knowing how big of an issue this was for people, how many people you think showed up to that event? I, 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 it's got to be an overwhelming amount because everybody was talking about this. There had to be uh, a, a huge amount of people who wanted to make sure that these these tabulators and things were working properly. Uh, you said one important part of the word, whelming. It's actually underwhelming. Wow. There were two people at this event in Oakland County. Open to the public, two people. Two people. Uh, and that's where Lisa Brown comes in, the Oakland County Clerk. Lisa, it's good. Good morning. It's great to have you with us. Good morning. Happy to be with you. It, it, talk to me a little bit about the idea that went behind this. How, how how did this come about? Why did you decide to open this up to the public so they could see a, a little bit behind the curtain? This this every clerk who administers an election does this. Right. Uh, it's called the public accuracy test. It is in Michigan law, and it has been there for a while. So. Um, I just advertise mine, I think, a little bit more, but every clerk has to put it in the paper when they're conducting their public accuracy test. It's just that something that people really haven't been paying attention to. And even, as you said, with all this cry of fraud, even though it's been proven over and over again there was no fraud and our elections are accurate and secure and fair, um, you know, people people aren't coming to the public accuracy test to see um that our elections are accurate and secure, right? So we, we, we keep having these tests, and people are still welcome to come and to learn. And I will tell you that every time somebody does come, they get quite an education, and they walk away saying, wow, I didn't know all that went into it. And to me, that's a win because, I, you know, even if it's two people that came to, to observe they're going and they're talking to their friends, their neighbors, their family, and telling them what they saw. So 
It was like that old shampoo commercial, and they tell two friends, and so on and so on. That's, <laughs> yeah. how, I, that's, that's how I try and view the, the low turnout for the public accuracy test, that it is spreading. And, and, and Lisa, do other clerks from other communities within Oakland County come and watch as well? Uh, well, actually, one of the people who did come was one of her local clerks, so yes. <laughs> how has this been attended in the past? I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that this is something that you do every year. Has there been higher attendance in the past? Uh, so it's not just every year. It's every election. Every election. And um, the most well-attended was um, for November of 2022. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to say we had 10 people. Wow. So still, still not a lot. Still but, not a lot, But yeah. more. <laughs> but it we'll keep... We keep ha we'll keep having it. This doesn't stop. We do this before every single election. And and uh, Lisa, I, I got to feel that the technology that it's in use today much better than the technology we had five, ten years ago. It's much different than when we had ten years ago. In 2017, uh, across the state of Michigan, we all uh, there was a statewide contract. We all got new voting equipment, and I mean the equipment that we use in Oakland County is is leaps and bounds, uh, uh, you know, better than what we had before. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot to it. A lot of security in place. Um, even even for people to come and see that there's little locks on the on the machines and, you know, tamper evidence stickers and all those sorts of things. It's not there, there's a lot that goes into elections that people don't know. <laughs> in in November, uh, voters here in the state passed Prop 2, which was going to change the way we vote in Michigan. Recently, the governor signed bills expanding uh, voting access 29 days before an election. There will be uh, ballot boxes that are going to be placed in every municipality, every community in the state. Um, what are your thoughts on that? How And how does that change the way that, that you run elections in Oakland County? Well, uh, that's a great question. So it's up to 29 days for early voting. And um, we sent out uh, a questionnaire to all of our local clerks in Oakland County. We have 52 city and township clerks in, in Oakland County and asked them if they were interested in, in partnering with the county. And um, it looks like 46 of our 52 communities will be contracting with us for us to be uh, really doing a lot of the heavy lifting for them uh, for early voting. So. Um, I enjoy collaborating with my local clerks. Um, it, democracy is a team sport. We're all in this together. And, you know, our local clerks are busy with lots of changes that came in 2018, as well as this last prop in 2022. And uh, we always just want to do whatever we can to make sure that our elections in, in Oakland County are the best they can be. I strive for Oakland County to be a model for the rest of the state. And it's a, a primary coming up in Oakland County and some communities on August 8th. How quick will the results uh, with this equipment now, how quick are the results going to be available? Well, the equipment that we tested, uh, we used it for, uh, again, another collaboration with, with our local clerks. Um, we tabulate actually at the county for uh, absentee ballots for some of our communities. So that was the equipment that we were testing. And those re results will be up by 8.05 p.m. Uh, the absentee ballots that we tabulate. Um, so, you know, I, I do encourage people, every election is important. Um, the Especially local things affect your life maybe on an everyday basis more than, you know, the presidential race. I mean, every race is important. Uh, we've got ballot proposals. So 
I would encourage people to come out and vote, but you know, it's a question of, uh, of um, you know, us getting the, the results from the precincts and everything else. But we will have some results posted probably by 8.05 p.m. Well, look, I, I think there are still people out there that are going to question what happened in 2020. That's not that's not a, a, a knock on what our clerks in this state do. But I think that's just the purview of some folks. Uh, what do you tell those people, uh, particularly as we head into another important election cycle? Um, to listen to someone who actually administers elections, um, to come and observe a public accuracy test, to observe uh, the canvas that we do after an election. I mean, people don't know all the steps that we take, not just before an election, but also after an election. Sure. That we, be after the canvas, which, by the way, is done by two Democrats and two Republicans, um, you know, working together, we then have audits. We have two different kinds of right. audits in the state of Michigan, yeah. and and one of those in, includes hand counting yeah. um, a race. Well, and, and, sure and that those results match what we what the machine tabulates. All of those steps are very important. Lisa Brown, thank you so much for the insight, and uh, hopefully you get more people out there the next time you run one of these tests. Thanks so much, Michigan businessman and Republican presidential hopeful Perry Johnson is giving out $10 gas cards in exchange for $1 donations in hopes of qualifying for the August 23rd Republican primary debate. Now, Johnson is taking the potential $9 loss on each gas card because he doesn't need the money. He needs donors, uh, 40,000 of them, uh, in order to qualify for the debate, which requires 1% showing in select national polls, 40,000 unique donors, and a loyalty pledge. Currently, he says he's at 23,000 donors. Anheuser-Busch announced they're laying off hundreds of white-collar workers after months of slumping sales and outrage from the customer base for the company's Pride Month collaborations. Matt Friedman, co-founder of Tanner Friedman's Strategic Communication, on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. All right, uh, Bud Light sales in the last week of June were down nearly 28% year over year. That's according to Nielsen IQ data. Uh, what does this mean? So Anheuser-Busch, that's the parent company of Bud Light, uh, they're now laying off, I don't know what, about 350 employees, mainly in some corporate positions, in response to the fallout from this campaign involving uh, the trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Um, so the layoffs affected, there's only 2% of the entire workforce, I think, with Anheuser-Busch. But it's telling because these are corporate positions, and I think the pushback is the ones who are in charge of this PR campaign are the ones who are being let go. And is that telling about maybe this PR plan uh, plan didn't work as they had hoped, and now the ramifications, it's a big lesson, I guess, for other companies. A crazy story the way this thing unfolded. Uh, you know, this thing came out, and all of a sudden the Internet went crazy, and suddenly everybody was uh, saying, uh, we're, we're not we're not buying Bud Light anymore. And, and almost instantly, uh, Bud Light was just stacked up on stores. They were trying to give it away at discount prices and people just refusing to buy it. And still today, uh, uh, in a large extent, a lot of people refusing to buy it. Now it's it's, it's coming around and it's costing jobs. Uh, and and it, it bothers me that uh, people are losing their jobs. But maybe, maybe to your point, Tom, uh, people should think twice uh, and how they come up with a clever new idea or a new marketing idea or, or, or this or that because decisions decisions have have, mm-hmm. have an impact. And, yeah, yeah. And, and 
they didn't know their audience at all. And now real real folks are going to lose their job. Join us now is Matt Freeman, co-founder of Tanner Freeman Strategic Communications. Hey, Matt, how are you? Hi, Tom. Uh, doing all right. This one is certainly unusual in the impact that it's had and how long it's lasting. We're still talking about it. It's still relevant. So, they're, yeah, they're crisis communications. People are working around the clock, uh, you know, uh, months months into this thing now. And, and I don't know. Like, I don't know what what they can do. It, it seems like their audience feels like they were ignored and then um, and then just not dealt with transparently. Like like they were, go, you know, just saying, no, this is what we're going to do. You know, we, we don't care if there's pushback. Well, now it's costing jobs. How do, How does a company, what do you do when it keeps going bad like this? What I don't understand is why the company hasn't said anything in so many months. There is no message. And if they were waiting for this to blow over, and occasionally I'll hear that from prospective clients, oh, this will blow over, we don't need to talk about it. No, this has not blown over. This has been a consistent and persistent storm for them. And I went back and looked to see if they've had anything to say as a company in the last couple months, and they haven't. And this shows you that what a company does or doesn't do can have real business impact. And I hope that they've been talking to their distributors, they've been talking to the establishments that pour their products around the country to find out what their would-be customers want to hear from them and then create a message. But we haven't seen that. We've seen some new TV commercials. That's about it. So the the CEO had, had done a couple of interviews and didn't seem to really hit the point uh, that he sort of tried to walk the line and, 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 and make everybody happy instead of dealing with the issue head on. And therefore, it seemed to have little or no impact. And I think the commercials will have little or no impact on the people who still feel like they haven't heard what they need to hear from this company. I think you're right, Kevin. When the CEO did talk about this situation, he managed to alienate pretty much everybody. And that happens sometimes. You get the message out and it's not right and you have to recalibrate. But that doesn't mean stop communicating, which is what they've done. They've just had some TV commercials out there about people having fun. And the except uh, summer is a really key time for the beer industry. Usually a lot of beer is consumed during the summer, but the beer industry is facing some serious headwinds. Younger people don't really enjoy drinking beer as much. There are other alternatives for them in the marketplace. And this, is a, this has been a time where this company should really buckle down and get in touch with its audiences and communicate to them, and they haven't. They've done the opposite. They've let everybody else define the message for them. And even in, in a marketplace right now where marketers are really struggling with this concept of influencer marketing, and they're trying to get that right, um, there's some margin for error. But in this case, the error has been magnified over such a long period of time. Yeah, it's a tricky situation. So you got uh, the, the CEO of Oxygen Financial. He's analyzing this, and he's saying, listen, consumers are starting to say, look, we, we love the product. We love the services that a lot of these companies are selling us. We just don't want an agenda being forced down our throats, and we definitely don't want anything political forced down our throat. And if you do, we're going to actually have the right to move on to another company. 
Um, how do you combat that? Because, listen, if Bud Light comes back out and says, listen, we really messed up on this, this was our fault, they've also got another dilemma here as well, the pushback from the LGBTQ community. So how do they straddle this line at the same time being transparent and owning up to a mistake? I, I think, Tom, that it's really about having a clear and consistent message that makes sense for audiences. What happened here? Why did it happen? What are they trying to accomplish? Which audiences are important to them? And maybe they've done it behind the scenes, but I think if they did, we would hear from advocacy groups that they met with Anheuser-Busch and they're satisfied with what they got. Instead, I just think that they're ignoring everybody and they're hoping that this can go away. And hope is not a business strategy. <laughs> I, I have empathy for these people who are losing their jobs. Are there enough people with empathy for people losing their jobs to say, all right, we sent the message, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and, and start buying Bud Light again? Maybe. Uh, I mean, the, reason, the reasons why people drank Bud Light in the first place would be helpful to know. Um, they know that. Anheuser-Busch is sophisticated enough that they know that. They know why they were the number one or number two best-selling beer in the country for decades. And what about the product did people like and want to spend their hard-earned money on? Those things have not changed. Um, and that's, they could be going back to that message. But they're not. They're, they have so many options in front of them, and it seems like they're not choosing any of them. Yeah, they've, they've got a traditional customer base, and it seems, I guess they feel... They're trying. They're trying to. The company's trying to move on from them to maybe acquire a new customer base, uh, and they've done the market research. I'm sure they fully understand who they've now neglected. I guess in this in that marketing campaign. Uh, listen, sh should they go back to them? Should they say, "Listen, uh, we know who you are. We know your value to us as a company. We want to reengage. What would satisfy you to bring you back as a customer?" Yeah, that, I mean, that, that makes sense. That's the kind of research that happens. I mean, I worked with a beer company on a crisis situation that I can't talk about several years ago. But one of the things that I asked the company for, and they delivered, is they brought into my office um, their salespeople who went into establishments to find out from bartenders, from bar managers, what are people drinking and why? Are they staying away from us? If so, how come? And we took those concerns very seriously and communicated to the public accordingly. And that's the kind of thing that, that could have been done here over the last several months. And, again, I just don't think that they're doing it. And, it's um, it, yeah, it's costing jobs. That's what happens. Business decisions are significant. PR decisions are significant. That's one of the things we sometimes have to educate clients about if they've never done PR before. PR, when done well, should support business objectives. And you'd think the business objective here would be to maintain as much market share as possible. Well, they've certainly lost some uh, some value in this, and we uh, hope that somehow they are able to reengage with a traditional customer base. We appreciate it. As always, Matt Friedman uh, joining us. Always love having you on. Co-founder of Tanner Friedman Strategic Communications. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Kevin. Fox News next. Back after that, 760 WJR. Um, and, uh, you know, th this this whole situation, it, it kind of has me wondering if if this were any company other than Bud Light, would the backlash be different? Because uh, for years and years, you know, Bud Light has kind of cultivated this this uh, this message 
Um, you know, if uh, you don't drink our beer, you're less of a man. If you don't drink our beer, uh, you'll be less attractive to women, which they do it in a humorous way. But I, I think it also has cultivated a customer base that would uh, have a problem with them um, collaborating with the LGBTQ community. And, uh, you know, the, the the backlash is also coming from the LGBTQ community because they feel that Bud Light has not stood by them through this whole controversy. And they're kind of feeling like pawns in, in their advertising game. Um, you know, I, I've read articles about uh, popular gay bars in Chicago and elsewhere who um, have stopped serving Bud Light because they feel abandoned. And uh, Dylan Mulvaney, the trans influencer at the center of this has said that Bud Light has not reached out to her and she's actually left the country uh, because of all the heat on her. So um, be interesting to see if they can pull out of this. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right. Taking attendance uh, this Monday morning. I see uh, Nick Roddy, executive producer is here. Uh, Lloyd is here. Present. And uh, although he tried to escape to the mountains of the afternoon <laughs> shift out in Boyne. We roped them back. Guy Gordon is back. Welcome back, I guys. I miss my afternoon people so much. Yes. Yeah. We, we had to do that. was a previous commitment, and uh, so we, we had to fulfill that. with our folks up in Boyne and uh, the WJR teams, uh, you know, didn't, uh, didn't harm themselves in any way. We had a good time. The folks at Boyne are great, and we thank them for uh, the Tournament of Champions, which kicks off today. Well, it's good to have you back uh, dark and early. And uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be another uh, uh, pedal to the metal news week. Um, but let I, I want to go back to last Friday. Um, I, I was I was flipping around to the news stations trying to, uh, you know, get an update on the second uh, Miller hearing um, in the Oxford uh, High School uh, shooting sentencing. And I noticed something interesting at first. Uh, I, I checked in on, on local four. Devin Skillian was in for Karen Drew. And uh, he was not using the shooter's name. He kept saying the shooter, the shooter, the shooter. And I kind of mm-hmm. kind of noticed that. And then I flipped over. Charlie Langton was doing a wrap up. And he said that um, both the prosecution and the the victim's families have requested to, to use his name sparingly because it came out on Thursday that one of his motives was to become famous for this. Right. And And, you know, it's not a new debate. This kind of. This kind of resurfaces every time there's there's yeah. a shooting, and uh, and uh, you know I got two journalists right here who've who've been in the game doing it better than anyone else for a while. And I just go on to pick your brains on your 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 thoughts of uh, you know this method of um, using a mass shooters or or someone who's trying to become uh, infamous for doing something like this not using their name after a certain point. I mean, for the day, I mean, we were on the air when it broke. Yeah. And the minute we learned his name, we mentioned it once, and then I began referring to him just as the alleged shooter. Right. Because you don't want to do that. No, you don't. And these guys, it's exactly what they want to do. They want the uh, the name and notori- notoriety. And when you look at his, you know, journal and the things that he was, it's exactly what he wanted. Some of the things that were happening in court was what he wanted to happen, according to the journal. Right. And that 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 made me sick to my stomach because, oh, God. Um, you know, we talked about it Friday, that that entry where he said he wanted to record the shooting so that people could watch their children and friends die 
in in court. Yeah, and that's exactly what was happening. What, yeah. Um, but then you also see him this 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 fantasy he had with a particular classmate that he wanted to rape her, kill her, yeah. dismember her. I mean, it's it was so hard to listen to. It was and and very I, hard. I you know, and I'm not a parent of a victim, or I'm not I'm, I'm not dealing with a child that is dealing with post traumatic stress because they live through this. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine. And, and it was really an act of heroism what we saw on the part of those families and those kids in testifying. I mean that. Um, the assistant principal, um, I have her name here, Christy Gibson Marshall, um, who saw the shooter and, and spoke to him and he walked right past her and, and, and she taught him in elementary school. The one time he showed emotion in court, he had his head bowed and, and tears were going down her face. I mean, uh, you know, she, she was heroic in trying to save Tate Mears life. And afterwards, she shared a tearful hug with Tate Muir's father, Buck Muir. Mm. And then, um, you know, these two students, Ke- Keegan Gregory and Heidi Allen, and, and what they went through, and, and, and Heidi Allen um, rendering first aid to a survivor and, yeah. and turning her away from the chaos. I, I mean, th- th- those are the names that we should remember. And, uh, you know, I know whenever this, this debate happens, like, obviously, you do have to say the shooter's name at first. Um, because, um, you it's, know, it's, it's clarity. Yeah, yes. it's, it's public. It, it's public record. Um, you know, if, if if there's other people suspected, it could clear their name in, in the court of public opinion. Right. But I do agree at a certain point, everyone knows his ki- kid's name. Now. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows yeah. who he is. And so, you know, just repeating uh, his name just gives him what he wants. Right. And, which is that notoriety that he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and Thursday, I kind of had a feeling that people were going to start shifting towards that way once once it, it turned out that one of the reasons he did this was for the notoriety so yeah but that's a given you know that wasn't a revelation right it is that is that that's mass shooter 101 right they all have this pathological interest in being famous and he said i would have killed myself but that would have been a p move right, right. yeah right that's right and he wanted witness chaos so you know at this point Unless we have to say his name for clarity, because there's a lot of names that are, that are coming out in these hearings, I'm more than happy to comply. We'll be talking about this and more, JR Morning, coming up.